Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. morning and welcome back uh, to our series in the book of Habakkuk. I invite you to turn your Bibles uh, to uh, the book of Habakkuk at this time. We're learning what it means to have hope for dark days from this particular book of the Bible. And really, as we uh, look at this study, we've been seeing how to handle evil times. Uh, The Bible wants us to be prepared for that. And uh, so there's a desire in all of us uh, to have no pain and no trials and we're just waiting for it to be good. Uh, and we have this viewpoint that oftentimes is developed where peace and prosperity is my right. I deserve that. But what we see in the Bible and throughout history as well is that that's just not true. Uh, in fact, even as we started a new CMCO here in KL, on Monday afternoon, I was reminded of that again. Things aren't always getting better. Sometimes they get worse. Sometimes they get darker. And it's naive to think that just because evil times have started, dark days have begun, that that uh, that means that it's always going to be that way. It's also naive to think that uh, evil times can't continue on in this time as well. And in all of that, the Bible is trying to teach us how to be prepared when we are in dark days, uh, that we don't aren't able to count on good times because there will be dark days, but there is a way to face that. And so uh, we are doing this study, and today I want to uh, explain to you from God's Word uh, what it means to wait for God in the dark. And actually, this is part two. We Last week, we looked at part one. We were learning how to hold God's hand in the dark, and we're going to continue that here today. So in part one, just a quick review, uh, we, I, I, helped you, I tried to help us understand why we have to wait And it's because we're living in the now and not yet in God's big story. Uh, We're living right now in the present where where there's some things that God has promised and is is going to do in the future, but it's not fully fulfilled yet at this time. And so we are waiting and we're waiting in a world that is broken. In fact, we are broken. And so when we wait, oftentimes we're impatient and we, in the tool, uh, we said we make a left turn where we begin to try to light our own fires to find our way out of the dark. And so we try to fix things or we might have a propensity to to flee and to run from things or maybe uh, it's something where we give up. And all of that leads to a hopelessness. Uh, that those lead to dark days, not just in the circumstances around us, but a dark moment in our soul. Instead, really, what God wants us to do is to wait for Him. We we call that the right turn. And and waiting for God is when we when we wait for Him in the dark, and, and He and and believe the promise that He will give us treasures in the dark. Actually, He Himself is the treasure, and that gives us great hope. In part two here today, I want to talk about the reward of learning to wait for God in dark days. Write that down. That there's a reward when we learn to wait for the Lord in dark days. We, we need to learn how to wait for God in the dark. And I want to talk to you about five aspects of, of waiting for the Lord. So in the book of Habakkuk, we have seen that at the very beginning uh, in chapter 1, Habakkuk uh, had some 
complaints for the Lord. He was actually crying out to the Lord with some difficult things. The days were dark for his country and he was crying out to the Lord and, and God responds and he says, actually, I'm going to make things even worse. And Habakkuk was like, what do you mean? Like, how is that even possible? God, how could you do that? You being God in all of that. And, and what we see is that God answers again. So two weeks ago, we began to look at that. And actually, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, is really the center of the book. And with the way Hebrew authors wrote, the center of the book is like the main idea, the main thrust of what they're trying to communicate to us. And so when we look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 here today, we're looking at the main argument, the main thing that the prophet was trying to record for the people of Judah in his day and for us even now as well. And so God responds and he says to wait. And, and, and so we have to learn how to wait on the Lord or wait upon the Lord. And what I found is that the idea of waiting upon the Lord, man, that sounds so spiritual. I've heard people say, you just need to wait upon the Lord. And I don't think they have a clue what they're talking about. Nobody's ever told us. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? It's one of those overused phrases that, that, that is so used that it kind of loses its meaning. People just use the phrase and they don't really define what that is. And so today I want to help us understand what does it mean to wait for God in the dark. I want to clarify what that means using five aspects that I think that Habakkuk is trying to communicate in the center part of his argument and book. And he's going to tell us that we need to wait patiently and we need to wait expectantly and obediently and in a God-centered way and ultimately joyfully. So let's look at these things that Habakkuk is trying to teach us. He doesn't want us just to have an overused phrase, wait upon the Lord. He wants to really help us unpack and understand what that is. Let's look and see what, is, what he says here today. So point number one, write this down. Wait for the Lord patiently. So we're to wait patiently. And we need to understand what this idea of patience actually is. God says that you're going to need to learn how to wait and it's going to take some time. So let's look here what it says in, in Habakkuk chapter 2. I'm going to read 1 to 4. It's, we, it says this. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now look with me again at verse 3. It says uh, that this, the, the, the vision awaits the appointed time. It hastens to the end. It's, not, it, it's true. It's going to happen, but you're going to, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So, so waiting is, is really this idea of being patient. That's just part of the idea of waiting. And so if you were at the bus stop down at the city and, and you weren't patient and you just started, you're just chafing against the fact that the bus wasn't showing up and, and you get snippy with the people around you and finally you just blow up in anger, you haven't waited because you haven't been patient and it hasn't changed the bus schedule, has it? 
Uh, if you were to go to the doctor's office and you're sitting in the doctor's office and it's just taking forever for your, your, your name to be called and, and so you just give up and you walk out, you haven't waited patiently. You haven't waited. When God te- uh, tells us to wait, he, He's telling us to, to do so patiently, but man, that's so hard. It makes it feel like we're in a desert. So I want to explain why many times it's actually pretty difficult to wait patiently. And that's because we have this hope that we want to rise and go over the time that we're living. And so we want it to look like this. We have this hope that we want for it to happen, but we live in the reality that doesn't match the hope. And this gap right here between hope and reality, this is is the desert. This is what it feels like. There are dark days in the desert. And and God says, here in this moment, we are to wait. That's what he's telling us to do. And that's so hard to be patient in, in the midst of it because it's this desert experience that we're having. So when, we, when that happens, we actually choose to do something different. Uh, we actually choose uh, not to wait in the, in the desert, but instead, when we see reality, we decide we want to change that gap and, and we are determined We're determined and driven to to try to make reality match our hope. And so many times that leads to greater darkness because as determined as we are, there's so many things we can't accomplish in our willpower, but it just never seems to match that hope. And that determined ultimately destroys us. Another way that this happens is uh, that instead of trying to push the reality up, we actually begin to believe in unreality. And in the unreality, it's really a matter of denial. And so there's this denial that's happening because we know reality is actually down here, but we we just try to to make it fake. We, We try to fake things to match the hope when it doesn't seem like it's adding up. And many times... When we're here in this denial, this is really, we're, we're fleeing from the reality by trying to fake to make it happen in that way. There, there's one more version of this that we try to do when, it, when we're experiencing the difference between hope over time. And that's when we see that the, rea- that the hope, we, we, we really have no hope is what we sh- should say, because reality has so beaten us down that we, we can't actually hope for something greater. And so the the no hope line, notice there's still a gap. And in the midst of that gap, what we we come to is really despair. We have this despair because it's just there's no hope that's there. And so we give up is really what happens there. And so when we're determined, we're trying to fix it. When we're in denial, we're oftentimes fleeing from reality. Uh, when we are despairing, it's that we just don't have the hope that's there. And God is trying to help us understand that in the midst of uh, this, this reality of uh, the fact that hope and real life 
has this gap here, and we're, we're living in the desert of this. God is trying to tell us right there, be patient. Wait in these types of situations. Now, we have to also realize that he teaches us how to be patient. He doesn't just tell us be patient and, and to figure that out for ourselves. We Actually, patience is, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that can be grown within us. And so uh, we can look at the Bible and see that patience comes when we purpose, when there's two deliberate actions that we actually get involved in. The first is the deliberate action of humility. So to show you this, let's look at James chapter 4. Uh, it'll be up on the screen here. James chapter 4 says this. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What James is, trying, is showing us here is you, you don't know, but you, you think you know, and so you make plans. Uh, and so we have these feelings that come from a sense that we know what everything that's supposed to go on. And, and so we can see, we know that, that it'll be a disaster if, if certain events unfold, if, if, if things happen in these dark days. But we forget that, and this is what James is reminding us, we forget that only God is all-knowing. That's the idea that he's omniscient. Only God is all-knowing. Only God's the one that knows tomorrow. And so you think that you have these feelings, that the sense that these things are out of control and they're not going well, but God is the one who knows those things. You don't. And so you freak out because you're certain that you know. And we need to have the humility to say, I don't know. Even though the day seems so dark, this might be the best thing for me. I just can't see it right now. There, there's a second deliberate action you need to take to develop patience, not just humility, but secondly, the deliberate action of welcoming growth in our own lives. Now, humility has to come first. I have to admit that I need to grow. I have to admit that there's something that I don't know. <coughs> and then I have to take the deliberate, make the deliberate choice of welcoming what happens. And so when dark days uh, happen and, and there's bad that's going on and I'm so disappointed, what if you said, this is an opportunity to become the person that God wants me to be? This is an opportunity for, the, for me to become the person my spouse has been praying for me to be. This is an opportunity for, for me to grow into the things that my parents have been trying to teach me. This is an opportunity that God is using to change me. When we meet dark days, when we're disappointed, when there's trials and obstacles that seem so overwhelming around us, what if we met that with patience? If we did, it would turn us into these wholesome, holistic, neat, good, Christ-like type of people. That's really what the Bible teaches us. In James chapter 1, it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
What, what God is telling us here is that if we would endure the trials that he has placed into our lives, it would produce the steadfastness and that steadfastness would produce within us this, this perfect, complete, lacking in nothing individual. You see, if we, if we take a patient approach to dark days and, and it, it produces a change and a growth within us, Romans chapter 5 verse 3 helps us understand this. We referred to this a couple of weeks ago. It says, it says this, But we rejoice in our sufferings, which seems odd, but, but keep going. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You're looking for hope in dark days. And this verse is telling us that, that if, if we would remain under the, the difficulties and the sufferings of the dark days, if we would be patient and humbly submit ourselves to the growth that God is trying to do in us, it will produce in you hope. The thing we're looking for in dark days. When bad things happen and we meet them with patience, it can turn you into a person of character. But notice, or not, it might not turn you into a person of character if you don't do what the Word of God is telling us here. You see, pressure turns coal into diamonds. And so I remember a war movie that was shown where there was a soldier who was injured and there was a surgeon who was on the battlefield, doctor, and he only had local painkiller. He didn't have the ability to fully put the injured soldier to sleep. And so he told the soldier, listen, we're going to have to do this surgery to save your limb while you're still awake. I'm going to help you give you as much pain medicine as I can. But no matter what happens, you need to stay still. If we're going to save, if we're going to remove the, th the, the shrapnel that's in you, you're going to have to stay still. So you're going to have to do your best not to flail around. You see, flailing is the worst thing that could happen. It could cause things even worse. It might even cause us to make a mistake and cause you to die. And, and, and in the same way, listen, God is doing a work in you to try to grow you. And, and in the midst of that, you can become bitter and thrashing about or you could choose the patience that produces the character and ultimately produces what God is trying to accomplish in you. In dark days, it could create in you a better prayer life. I mean, who, who wants a better prayer life? I, I think that's a lofty goal for us all to have, right? But it's possible that the dark days could produce a worse prayer life in you as well. What I've noticed is that people with great prayer lives, they, those those prayer lives were never created without pressure. And so we need to not flail around. We need to welcome growth and have the humility to, do, to, to, to grow in those things. In all of this, what we're seeing is that if we're going to wait, if we're going to wait on the Lord, don't give up. Don't flail around. We need to be patient under the circumstances. And that's going to require two deliberate actions on your part. Deliberate action number one is the decision to be humble in it. To not be prideful and think that you know better and that, that these days are so dark and it's just so bad and the sky is falling and I wish it was different, but, but to trust the Lord in that, to be humble and say, I don't really know what God's doing here, but I think he's going to be good. And then second, the deliberate decision to welcome growth in your life.
If you're going to wait upon the Lord, these are the decisions that will cause you to, to develop the patience that will allow you to properly wait upon the Lord. So we're learning how to wait on the Lord. Number one is to be patient, but number two here is that we are to wait for the Lord expectantly. So expectantly means, and what I'm trying to help us understand, what the text is going to reveal to us is that it means that we are waiting for the Lord by looking for His perspective. That's something that two weeks ago I tried to make sure was part of the message. And, um, and in that, we're, we're waiting knowing that He is going to answer. We, we expect Him. We know that He's going to give an answer. And so it says here that uh, really the phrase in verse 1 that Habakkuk says, I'm going to station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me. Habakkuk is saying here that uh, it's, it's like a city that has walls around it, an ancient city that has walls around it. And they would need a tower to go up and to see over the walls to see what was coming. Spiritually, what do you think that that means? Well, in, in this case, it means that you're not supposed to just look at your problem. You need to look at the big, bigger perspective of everything that the Bible is teaching and everything that God is actually telling us and saying in this, in this circumstance. So it, it could feel like the days are dark. It could feel like God has left me. But it's possible that God is showing me a new way to trust Him in this circumstance that feels so dark. I know Paul for sure had, had many dark days. And Paul had this perspective. He, he had this way of looking at things that was so important that we need to understand as part of waiting for the Lord. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, so Paul says, I consider, for I consider that uh, here, I, I reckon, I might say in some of your English translation, it's the word uh, in Greek, logizdamai, and it means to add up, to calculate, and to work out all the details. Paul had all this suffering. He had physical suffering. He had persecution. He had emotional suffering that would have been happening within him. And he puts all of his suffering into perspective. And it suddenly it looks so small against the glory of God. He gets into his watchtower and he sees when he's sick that while it's difficult and hard and real. He doesn't ignore uh, what's going on, but he also recognizes that the only sickness that really kills is sin. And so this physical sickness, even if it was the worst of kind, it listen, it, it pales. It's so small in comparison to the sin that is healed by Jesus. He gets into his tower and perhaps he has some sort of debt in his life or we have debt in our life and we realize the only debt that is truly unpayable is my own sin. But Jesus, he's the one that has paid, paid in full. He's completed the loan for me. And so in that, when we begin to meditate on the glory that is coming, Paul says that penetrates him. And in the midst of his dark days, he is able to see God's perspective so that he knows how to wait in the midst of the difficulty that he's facing. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to meditate on the, the incomparable glory that is going to be revealed to us in the future, that has already been begun to be shown to us in His Word? You see, if, 
If we're going to do that, we must wait and look for God's perspective. And that's not a passive activity. It's thinking of the glory of the things to be revealed. It's the activity of, of looking into God's word and knowing his character and knowing his promises and seeing the assurance of the future that he gives and believing in those things. You see, it's, it's work, it's, it's, but it's not me fixing something. It's me getting my attention on God and his perspective. It's me climbing up into the tower of, of his word and understanding what he's trying to reveal about himself and about all that we can trust in the future. We're going to, I'm going to try to help you with this in just a moment at the end of our message, but it's possible you could really be overwhelmed by cynicism. Pastor, I hear you're saying that I'm just supposed to, you know, somehow conjure up some new perspective. I'm, I'm just supposed to kind of get, get in the midst of all this suffering, just think some different thoughts about those things. Listen, I'm not saying that we ignore the dark days and the pain and the difficulty of these things. I'm saying that in the midst of these things, we see how they fit into God's plan and what he's going to do. And we let the longings within us that are placed from the very beginning in us, we let those longings direct us to, to God and who he is and what he's taking us through. And we begin to see the perspective of eternity in that, that changes how I look at myself in the midst of the darkness. So we're learning how to wait for God in dark days, and we've seen that first of all, we need to wait patiently, and second of all, we need to wait expectantly that God is going to work now, but there is a future that really puts all of that into perspective. Now there's a third way that we need to learn how to wait. We need to wait for the Lord obediently. So obediently is really seen again back in Habakkuk chapter 1. We see it in, in that first phrase of verse 1. It says, it says this, I will take my stand at my watch post. I'm going to take my stand. There's something just a conviction that's being said in Habakkuk here. I'm going to wait like a sentry waits on his watch. So a sentry, oftentimes that's a military thing, Right. Uh, although other things, and, and if, if there's a, a military and he's on watch, he's on sentry duty, it doesn't matter if he feels bad, he can't leave his post. It doesn't matter if he gets sleepy, he must stay awake. It doesn't matter if he gets bored, he, he can't get distracted, he, he has to continue to, to watch for what's going on. He can't leave his post. He can't stop early. If he doesn't feel like he's getting anything out of it, it doesn't matter. Habakkuk is saying here that he's struggling with God. He's weary. God seems absent and is not answering his prayers. He's not hearing from him. He's disappointed in what God does reveal to him when he finally does answer. I mean, is that possibly, is there possibly any way that your life matches what Habakkuk has been feeling up to this point? The disappointment and the weariness and the, and the frustration and the hard questions that you want to ask God. Notice Habakkuk is saying, I'm not leaving my post. And he's modeling for us, we should not be leaving our post in the midst of that as well. We, waiting is not leaving our post, it's being obedient to the Lord. Notice he's active in this. He's engaged with God and he sets himself not to leave, not to give up, not to walk away, but to continue to be very much involved in the relationship with God. 
And that's so different many times from me and I think most of us. We get into these dark places, this discouragement that's coming. We don't feel like God is there or he's answering or active. And, and, and so we just kind of, we, we stop doing the things that we know we're supposed to be doing. The, the relationship building things, the, the connection and the abiding with God. We, we stop worshiping. And maybe we just stop coming to church for a while. We stop praying and depending upon him. Or if we do pray, we don't think he's going to actually, actually answer. We stop reading the Bible and attending small group and serving and and we let self-pity just come up around us and we we just feel like, I'm not getting anything out of this from God. I'm not hearing from Him. I'm in that desert. And so we just kind of give up and we leave our post. But imagine with me the sentry who's been caught having left his post dereliction of duty. And, and, and so now he's come to his court martial and he's standing before the judge. And the judge asks him, what do you have to say for yourself? And the sentry says, I just wasn't getting anything out of my guard duty. I, I was bored and sleepy. And, and, and so uh, that's why I left. Imagine if the guard, the judge would be like, well, okay, son, I guess that's, you know what? I'm so sorry we weren't making this exciting for you and, and it wasn't really fulfilling for you. So, so just be on your way. There's no penalty. There's no way that would happen, right? That was his job. That was his responsibility. That was his duty that to have. Or think of it this way. Think of it as a university son who writes home to his father. And he says, dad, I'm here at the university and I'm not getting anything out of prayer right now. What should I do? And the dad writes back to his son and he says, well, I don't know everything, but I do know this. You'll get nothing out of not praying. So keep praying. Be obedient. Obey. Obedience, by the way, is not just doing the things that you know that you should be doing, like praying. But it's not trying to do the things that you know that you should not do, like sinful things. And so many times we abandon the post. We, we, we are not obedient. We are not waiting for God. Because we're weary and we're disappointed and we're empty in the midst of dark days. And so we end up doing things with sex and money and drink and food that we should not do. We feel the high of something that we think is going to give us relief, and then ultimately we feel even worse. Listen, we've all, we've all experienced and tried with that in some fashion. The Word of God, Habakkuk, is trying to help us understand, don't leave your post. Don't be disobedient. Be obedient in these ways. So, there's a great piece of literature that's written in the middle of the 1800s called Jane Eyre. And, and, and Jane uh, was, tells the story of this girl, Jane, who was an orphan when she grew up. She was very plain. She wasn't beautiful. There was no one to care for her when she was young. She grew up so lonely. She, she, she had a, a number of friends that never, ne- didn't ever really seem to pan out, and she just wanted to be loved. And, and in the midst of the story, she meets a man, Mr. Robinson. And there's this revelation. He loves her. And she's falling in love with him. But she finds out that he's married. He's married to a mentally ill wife. And he says to her, come and live with me. 
but her moral principles resist. And, and she tells him, listen, you're married and, and we say for better or for worse. And, and so I can't. And she knows in her head that she can't and that she should not do that. But in her heart, she's feeling that opposed and she's feeling the battle and she wants that so much. And there's this remarkable piece of the story where there's an example of of waiting on the Lord and not leaving your posts. She says this, Not a human being, she says, that ever lived could wish to be loved better than I was loved. And him who thus loved me, I absolutely worshipped. Yet I had to renounce love and idol. Interesting. So I did. And Mr. Rochester said with a wild look crossing his features, What do you mean, Jane? What shall I do? Where shall I turn for companionship and for some hope? Jane said, Do as I do. Trust in God. Believe in heaven and hope to meet there again someday. Then you will not yield, he said to me. No, says Jane. Do you condemn me to live wretched and to die accursed, his voice rising? No, she said. I advise you to live sinless and therefore to die tranquil. Jane, who will be injured, though, by doing what I'm asking you to do? You have neither relatives nor acquaintances who you need to fear to offend, Come and live with me. Then she concludes like this. And while he spoke, my very conscience and reason turned against me and charged me with crime in resisting him. They spoke almost as loud as feeling, capital F, and my feelings clamored wildly. Oh, comply, they said. Tell him that you love him and will be his. Who in the world cares for you? Who will be injured by what you do? Still indomitable was my reply. I said, I will keep the law given by God. I will hold the principles received by me when I was sane, not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. There are, they are for such time moments as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. If at my individual convenience I might break laws, what would be their worth? Foregone determinations are all I have at this hour to stand by. There I plant my foot. I did. She didn't leave her post. She said, I'm going to stand my watch. Waiting on the Lord means waiting patiently. And waiting on the Lord means waiting with his perspective. And putting things in his perspective means that there's, there's an obedience to what he has called me to do here. And if we're going to learn to wait upon the Lord, we can't leave our post. Write that down. And then think about it. Is there anywhere where I've abandoned my post? Is there anything that's within me that's disobedient? Would you take a moment and just ask the Lord quietly, wherever you're sitting, just, Lord, by your spirit, would you please reveal to me any disobedience, anything that I've left my post on that you want to correct in me? And whatever the Lord reveals or whatever you already know you need to bring, confess it to him and repent. Believe that he is good and that, he, that if you follow his ways, it is the best thing for you. And then wait, wait in faith for the Lord. Listen, learning to wait by faith means we do it patiently, we do it expectantly, we do it obediently, and then number four, wait for the Lord God-centrically. 
Now, I kind of had to make up that word, God-centrically, right? We're, we're saying God-centered. Wait for the Lord in a God-centered way. Let me kind of explain that for you here. Note that Habakkuk here uh, is not just waiting for the Lord's answer. He's not just waiting for the Lord's reward. He's, just, he's not just waiting for the things of the Lord. Habakkuk is waiting on the Lord himself, not his benefits. This is really developed in a number of places of Scripture, and in particular in the book of Job, which is very much like Habakkuk, just much longer. And in the book of Job, we see the story where Satan comes and he approaches God in his throne room, and he says, does Job serve God for nothing? It doesn't cost him anything to serve you. It looks like he's your servant. It looks like he waits for you. It looks like he has faith. But actually, he's just waiting for your things, God. If you take the things away from him, he won't actually love you and believe in you. So I'm going to take away those things, Satan says. Allow me to do that. I'm going to take his money, and I'm going to take his family, and I'm going to take his status. And he does. He takes everything, and, 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 and Satan says, See, God, he's going to curse you. Now, Satan is right about us. He knows us well. We first connect to God because we're unhappy. We feel guilty. We need some sort of shame covered in our life. And, and we all start there in our relationship with God. We, we need something from Him. And we can start there, but we can't stay there. Why? Because that's hypocrisy. Uh, for example, let me, let me explain it this way. What, what if your cousin moved in with you and you took care of him for a time? You, you gave him all of his meals you provided the clothes for him. You helped him find a job. You watched movies together. You did entertainment things. You, you, were, you were just providing all of that for him. But you realize that's not healthy. And so at one point you tell your cousin, this can't continue any longer. You stop providing it for them. And then your cousin drops you. Mad, angry words. He leaves. He's upset. He, he sets the family against you. How do you feel in that moment? Well, all my years of experience is, as a pastor, here's what I found. We treat God in a way that we would never let somebody else like that cousin treat us. I mean, what are, when we're waiting for the Lord, what is it that you're waiting for? Do you love God for who He is? Do you love God for Himself? Even if you got nothing out of it, would you love God still? I believe that's the measure, really, of true love for God. And it's only in dark days, only in trouble, that my selfish, exploitive relationship with God is revealed, and I have the chance to actually grow it into something that is a true relationship. Only when loving God means there's no benefit to me at all, like Job, and like Habakkuk, and like many of the psalmists who wrestled with God, and were angry with God, and were struggling with God, and hard questions were being pointed towards Him. But, the, but they stay with God only if we're like them will we know that we love God for who He is and not for the external benefits of Him. And it's possible to learn that, but only when we go through dark days. 
We don't learn this in, in, in good times. We learn this in, in, in dark days. Because in dark days, God is asking you the question, did you get into this relationship to serve me? Or, or, did, or did you get, or are you trying to get me to serve you? If you stick with him, no matter what, and get nothing out of it, and remain God-centered under the pressure, the heart of coal within us turns into the diamond. If you stick with him uh, under the pressure of dark days, he will turn you into a person of hope, assured of your relationship with him and of the future reward of that relationship with him that has. You will turn into a person that no matter what the circumstances are around you, you can have peace and be unflappable and steady and full of fortitude in the midst of those difficult things. You can be like the character of Sam in Lord of the Rings. Familiar to some, I know, but it says this at his most difficult moment. But even as hope died, or seemed to die, it was turned to new strength. His plain face grew stern, almost grim, as they were, as, as, as the will hardened in him, and he felt, though, all his limbs a thrill, as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despaired nor was weary or endlessly barren miles could actually subdue. What, what was happening is he was coming to that spot where he, he had the strength and the courage to, to face no matter the, what weight of the darkness around him because uh, in, in, our, in the book of Habakkuk, because we have this relationship with God, we have God himself. We need to realize I'm in this with God. I don't need anything of the benefits from him because I'm with him. And, and what happens is it turns the desert this hope and reality gap that then has this desert, it, it, it turned as we wait, wait for him, as we're told to do, it, it turns into wonder. In the midst of the desert experience, the dark days that God takes us in, God tells us to wait because he, he's saying, listen, I'm going to give you treasures in the dark. And the treasure is going to be me. If you'll, if you'll keep your eyes on me, if you'll wait patiently, if, if, if you'll wait expecting that I'm going to answer, believing in that and obedient to me and looking for me, God-centered in that, you will experience the wonder of a relationship with me that's far better than any benefit I could give you, any prayer I could answer for you, anything that you would long for here on earth. He takes us into the desert and into these dark days to show us the wonder when we put our trust fully in Him. So we need to wait. We need to wait in a God-centered way, looking for the wonder of who He is. So four thing, five things that we're learning here, we've covered four. Learning to wait for God in dark days means we'll wait patiently and expectantly and obediently and in a God-centered way. And write this down, number five, wait for the Lord joyfully joyfully. Look with me at verse 4. It helps us understand this here. It says, uh, the first part of the verse is really talking about uh, the, the, the Chaldeans, the evil ones, we'll cover next week, but it says at the very end, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Do you see that? 
That, that's actually one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament. We see this quoted over and over in the Bible. And it says, the righteous will live by his faith. They're going to believe. What are they believing? Well, they're believing in the reward that waiting is worth it. I can wait in dark days joyfully because of the reward that I believe and know is coming by faith. How can I have joy in the midst of these dark day struggles. I mean, when things are really bad, when, it, when it's the worst kind of news, when it seems there's no hope and there's no way around it, and God's telling me to wait and I've tried everything anyway, and, and how do I have joy? Like that doesn't seem to add up in any way. But there's a supernatural way that God works that you need to know. I can have joy in the midst of, uh, of, dark, of the struggle of dark days because there's this great reward that is coming to us. I, I need to show this to you from Luke chapter, thir- chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, verse thir- 37, we see here that there's a scene where there's a master who's been out at, at a party, at a wedding, and he's coming home from the feast and he has told the servants to wait and some of the servants wait obediently and stay awake. And others, they, they just don't believe him. And so they, they don't wake. They, 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 they go to sleep. They're not awake. And, and all of this, Jesus is teaching a parable here where he's trying to help us understand his, that he wants his followers to wait for him. This isn't just a Habakkuk thing. It's all through the Bible. And this is Jesus teaching this. And notice what it says here in verse 37. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. I mean, this is so amazing. It it says here in the ESV, he's going to dress himself. It might say in your English version that he will gird himself. He will gird his loins. We see that in a number of times in scripture. And the idea of girding or, or dressing yourself is that they would pick up their flowing robes and they would tuck it into their belt so that they could be active and focused on what they're doing. So that they could perform a task and do some hard work or, or even bare their legs and run. And all of that, this idea of girding or dressing yourself is this metaphor for focusing all your powers on one goal. And so think about what this verse begins to say here. I mean, this is one of the amazing, wonderful verses of the Bible. It says here, Jesus will focus all his power to inflict joy on us if we wait for him. That's amazing. I mean, think about who's saying this. Think about who Jesus is. Jesus is the all-powerful God of the universe. He's omnipotent and he's the eternal God of the universe. And he has, he's, gonna, he's saying, I'm going to give you cosmic, infinite joy. If you wait on me your whole life, I will gird myself and serve you for infinity. And this is guaranteed to happen. This, why, do, why can I say with assurance the guarantee of this? Because of what he did in the past. You remember the night before he died where he was, right? In the upper room. And he was waiting on his disciples. He, he, he removed the outer garments and, and he was serving them. He was washing their feet. Not only in that, in that object lesson to teach them about the servant, servanthood, but, but then he went and he was on the cross, And on the cross, he waited for those disciples and he waited for you and I. See his patience in this. The wrath of God is being poured out on him and he didn't give up. 
He's serving us and loving us and demonstrating ultimate patience for us, ultimate waiting for us while he's there on the cross. And when we see that Christ lays aside his joy, it says in Philippians, to come as a human, to live perfectly, to die a substitutionary death for you and I, for those who believe in him. When you see that he gave that up so that he could wait on you, does that allow you to see that you can wait for him now? We see Christ waiting in the past on the cross. We see his promise here that he will wait for us in the future. Doesn't that mean that we can wait for him now in the dark, in the present? He wants us to wait joyfully. And listen, when we're looking for his perspective, when we have our focus on him and the reward of who he is, when we see that his promise is that he's going to come and he's going to serve you at the table, that he's going to wait on you with infinite cosmic joy, that he's going to serve you in that way, does not that, that not fill you with joy to be able to wait even now in the darkest of moments? Listen, I want you to hear this so clearly. I want you to know what the text is teaching us here. There is a reward for waiting for God in the dark. Let's learn to wait patiently, expectantly, obediently, God-centeredly, and joyfully. He's so good. We can trust Him for this. Listen, whatever the dark day is that you're facing right now, wait for him and for the wonder that he's going to reveal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we admit sometimes when we come to passages like this and it says to wait and we are so impatient. We're impatient in small things of life, let alone the, the things that are, that are dark and big and and so, so difficult in our lives. And God, we, so many times, we are driven and determined to fix things. We are, Lord, we deny and we, 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 we just kind of flee and, and there's just unreality and comfort that we seek in all sorts of wrong things. God, we, many times, we just come to a place where we give up. There's just, there's just a denial that, that, that you're that, uh, despairing, excuse me, of, uh, of what, is, what is before us. God, we ask, you say that the righteous will live by his faith. God, would you empower us to live by faith? Lord, even as we look at the picture of Christ waiting for us, Lord, that causes great joy. Would you help us to believe in the fullness of that? Would it motivate us to, to, to wait patiently and, and looking for your perspective in the specifics of the difficulties we have and, and, and ultimately being obedient, not leaving our post and, and seeing the greatness of, what, of the wonder of a relationship within you that's far better than any answer that you would actually give. God, would you build our faith to see that and would you change us in how we are waiting in the dark? Lord, would it, would it exhibit these qualities that you have called for us in that? Lord, I pray that you would guide us for this right now. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.